We're standing for the reading of the word of God. From Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne, capital T, of God. All of God's people said amen to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The message today is entitled, Go the Distance. And in many ways, this is the bookend to the first message that I shared in March of 2021. On that day at the hotel, I said, if you were to ask me what message I would preach if I could only preach one message and then die. I mean, like the next moment, die. Boom. It would be that message. But if you were to ask me what's the second and most important message to you, which is really the bookend of that message that I did in March, it would be this one. So there will be the two messages that you would preach and then you would die. <laughs> these, are, these are those messages. Not to say it's going to be any good, but at least it would be the last two messages that I would preach. So I want you to see a section of scripture that I would think the majority of you have read and meditated, perhaps memorized, but you've heard probably many messages on it. I'm adding this humble submission to you today and what this has meant to me in my life. It starts with this phrase, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And I would say to you that the word I'd want to emphasize there if I were to embolden it would be therefore. Now this will not be the first time that you've ever heard this phrase, but when you see a therefore... You need to know what it's there for. The word therefore is there for the purpose of letting you know what just came before. If you know the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to just refer to it as the book written by Paul. Some of you might not buy into that, but I believe it was written by Paul. Most scholars, evangelical scholars, believe that. Paul wrote in chapter 11... The Canyon of Heroes. You want a Canyon of Heroes? Forget any sports team that you love. If they won a championship. Back in 1969 when the New York Jets won the Super Bowl. They came. Remember that? Some of you remember that? Joe Namath, you know. And they came down the Canyon of Heroes in a ticker tape parade. Nothing compares. Nothing compares to this group of heroes. And so many that followed after them. There are heroes today that are alive today. Some of you are heroes in this room. Uh, heroes of the faith God calls all of us to be faithful to him but there's some that he points out to us as examples and this chapter 11 in Hebrews does that so the first thing I want you to see is this therefore refers to the heroes and the first thing I want you to see is that God calls us to honor the heroes to follow the example of those who have finished the race they got a special mention in the Bible Hebrews chapter 11 how did they end up there? Do you think any of them thought they would end up in Hebrews 11 when they were living their lives? Absolutely not. But they did because God had a purpose. 
He pointed them out because he wanted us to remember and understand their example and follow after it and the power of the Holy Spirit. So the context is chapter 11, and I want you to see this now. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 33 to 40. I just took this little passage. I'm going to read it, even though it's a large chunk. So hang in here with me. I'm going to read this New York style, which means very quickly. These heroes who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised since God had planned something better for us that only together with us would they be made perfect. Did you hear that last phrase? That means if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have been, as we like to say in the Baptist circles especially, blood-washed saints before the Lord, you are in this group. You are connected to this group. You're grafted in. Now, when you think about honoring heroes in this context it says therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses the metaphor that i like to think of is a stadium now just a couple of days ago my wife was away and i've gallivanted i gallivanted i went in many different directions i went to port st Lucie. i went to miami so what were you doing there i was pursuing one of my great passions baseball so i saw the st Lucie mets beautiful stadium They lost, but who cares? And then I went to see two teams that I don't even care about, the Miami Marlins and the Nationals at at Miami Stadium. And I went there, and you know what I discovered? I discovered that there weren't many people there. There wasn't a roar of a crowd. It sounded like a jazz club every time somebody got a hit. You know what a jazz club? They go, hey. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. I don't want you to think about that kind of stadium right now. I want you to think of the opening ceremonies at the Olympics. Even the last one that took place in China. I want you to think about a stadium that is packed with people screaming and yelling and applauding and and standing. These are the heroes that we honor from Hebrews 11. And and not exhaustively, by the way. These heroes are the ones who are in the stands, who have gathered the cheer on those who haven't arrived yet. That would be you and me. That is if, that is if, you have accessed the arena and that would be the next thing that i would like to bring to your attention it says therefore we are since we are surrounded what's the we who's the we how do you categorize and define the we you have to get into the race in order to honor these heroes and be who god wants you to be and do what god calls you to do so they get into the arena and run the race god desires for all who are made in his image and understand i use a word very specifically here It is not God's will that everyone go to heaven. If it was, then everybody would go to heaven. It's his desire that all would go and who would repent and surrender to Jesus. 
And so God desires for all those who are made his image to get into this arena. You need a ticket, though. You don't buy this ticket. You don't earn this ticket. You don't even receive it from another friend. You receive it. It's a gift. It's like someone handing you a ticket to the 2024 Olympics, all expenses paid. Anybody know what that's going to be? Sweet Patty. Yes, someone got that right. Paris. Can't wait. It's the 100th anniversary of the moment when Eric Little won his gold medal in Paris 100 years later. Oh, there's all kinds of things being planned for that, but we won't get into that. But it would be like having an all-expenses uh, uh, ticket paid for you, and you not only get to see what's going on inside that stadium, but in this particular case, you get to participate. In fact, you must participate. That's the reason that you're there. How cool is that? And this ticket is priceless. If the opening ceremony costs $20,000 a ticket in China, imagine what will be in Sweet Paris. It will probably be, who knows, $24,000. Who knows, $30,000, And the sky's the limit now, isn't it? And yet, as expensive as that ticket is for the Olympics, the ticket for those who get into the arena is priceless, and you can't buy it. It can only be given to you by the Godhead. In other words, you must be born again to get into this arena where the race is taking place. Now, there's a significant difference with this ticket into the arena of a life journey with God. You see, as I've already said, you don't enter the grandstands to watch and cheer. That's what some of us are doing. You know, last week we sang, we, we sang standing on the promises. Many of us are sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises. We'd rather sit in the stands and the grandstands and watch it. That's reserved for those who have finished their course and have died in the Lord. There's only one reason to enter this arena and it is to run the race. And the next thing that Paul says is this. You've got to prepare your pace. You've got to prepare your pace. These are what I call the prerequisites for running the race. Paul says, let us throw off everything that hinders. Another translation says encumbrances and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. Endurance is the word that's used in another translation. The race that is marked out for us. We have to understand and apply the prerequisites for the race. When you're running a race, you don't put on a hiker's backpack or an oxygen tank because you're going scuba diving or even for that matter, football gear. You only wear what is necessary so nothing hinders you from running with speed, freedom, agility, and endurance. Now, I had the opportunity to take up running about a decade ago. I was a lot skinnier, much better shape. And um, at that time, I was doing a series with my father called Go for the Gold. It was the summer of 2008. And I decided, because I'm so inspired by Eric Little and Chariots of Fire, I decided that I was going to try to run a 400 meter out of nowhere. So I had a coach who took, came alongside me and he said, okay, I'm just going to have you go out and I'm going to time you. What? I No preparation? No, just your own sneakers, whatever you have. Right. I almost collapsed at the end of the 400 meters. He said, I'm going to take 15 to 16 seconds off your 400 meters in the next month or so. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, okay, I'll do it. This was an illustration in the message that I was doing on endurance. And so he did that and we taped it and, it, and, he, and I took off about 10 or 11 seconds. Now, those of you that are runners that know a 400 meter, <laughs> that, 
That's pretty significant. I, I almost died preparing to do it, but I did do it. And here's the point. In order to have done that, I needed to not only have a good coach, and I had a good coach, I needed the right running shoes. I needed the right socks. I needed the right shorts. I even needed the right shirt. And that's all I needed. You know, in the, in the original Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games, which, by the way, Paul is referring to, we're going to get to this in a, in a moment in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But in those original names, those that participated were only men and they competed in the raw. Do I have to tell you what that means? Is everybody listening? Just raw, you know? Okay, no more explanation needed. Women were not present. In other words, they had literally nothing on them that was encumbering them. Paul says we are called to get rid of encumbrances. And encumbrances are not sin because the next phrase describes a category of sin. So he says encumbrances and then the sins that so easily entangles us. Encumbrances. These are not sin, but these are weights. This is like choosing the good instead of the best. This is like doing things that are distracting you. They're not sin. They're not sin, but they distract you from running the race the way that God intends. And then God calls us to get rid of, through Paul, get, to get rid of all the entanglements of our life. This would be sin. This would be strongholds in our lives. Doubts that we just get stuck in are not willing to pursue the answer to. Self-trust, pride. Humility is what's necessary to open up the gates to the grace of God in our lives. Pride cuts it off. In fact, God says specifically, you want, a, you want a sobering thought right now? It's from James chapter 4, verse 6, that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. That means if you're proud, if you have a self-trust and, 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 and a kind of a self-narcissism about you, and like, I'm always right, <laughs> God resists you. Is that what you want? Or do you want the grace of God? The old saying is, if you really want to follow after the Lord and you don't humble yourself, God will take care of it. He'll humble you. Who, what would you rather do? Humble yourself or be humbled by God? Take the former. Just a little tip. It's a lot easier. But sometimes God has to crush us and humble us in order to get us to where we need to be if we truly are believers in Christ. Now, we are not only called to get rid of encumbrances, but to also get rid of entanglements, sin. And then we're called, of course, to run the race. And isn't it interesting that the word for race is agon? Can you think of what A-G-O-N relates to in an English word? Add a Y to it. Yeah, agony. Paul uses the word agon to describe the race because he's saying this is going to be long. This is going to be tough. At times it's going to be agonizing. Which brings us back to the idea of endurance. Now we have a, you're all special guests. But for me today, there's a very special guest here. Her name is Alma. Alma Ramos McDermott. She didn't know I was going to do this. She's sitting in the back with my wife. Alma, stand up. Just, don't clap. Just, I'm going to tell you, you're going to clap after I tell you what she does. But anyway, actually Alma is a librarian. But in her secret life, like she's like a superhero, like, you know, she does this other thing on the side. She's a runner. She's one of the best runners you will ever see. She's one of the best runners that you've never heard of. I'm serious about this. She's been running forever. She's won awards. She's been the top athlete in Staten Island, which is not a small thing in, in running. She's participated in the Melrose Games. The, 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 the list goes on and on. Now, why am I bringing up Alma? Because 
Many, many years ago, many years ago, I have notes from Alma for a message that I did in 1993. 93, here they are. And Alma gave me some, I said, Alma, give me some, some stuff that I can do. I wasn't a runner, I was, you know, I did. I went to the gym, blah, 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 you know, I play baseball, you know, and I'm a, you know, I don't run. So I said, Alma, give me some illustrations. And she gave me, okay, so here's, here's what she, one of the things she said. To run a marathon well, one needs much, and she underlined, much discipline. Discipline to get up at the crack of dawn or to run in the evening darkness to be fit. A, a daily 15 plus mile run. And when I read that, I go, oh man, I am never going to do that. How many of you are excited about running a marathon right now based upon that kind of advice? I, I, I doubt it, right? Has anybody run a marathon other than Alma? So, so uh, seriously, a few of you run marathons, so you know what the, oh yeah, yeah, okay. The last thing she says, the model for all runners, no matter what the distance is, you are what you train. In other words, it's about preparation. Now, I can read more about Alma's uh, adventures and her victories, and she's an amazing person. She's been running forever, and she does it for the glory of God. Alma loves the Lord, and she does it for the glory of God. Not unlike another guy named Eric Little, but we'll get to him in just a minute. For the Christ follower, endurance comes with proper nutrition, proper exercise, proper evaluation skills, proper equipment. So here's what it is. Eating? <laughs> okay, yeah, you gotta eat right to be a good runner. But let's talk about it spiritually for a minute. You need nutrition from the scripture every day. David even said, I love your word. It's more important to me than my necessary food. It's our nutrition for day-to-day -day living on the journey to the end which is the beginning of the end and the end of the beginning at the same time. Exercising. I like to use prayer as the analogy to this. Having a proper relationship. So you need proper nutrition, the scripture. You need a proper relationship, if I may use that word. Intimacy with God. You need a commitment to cats. Cats? What? By the way, I don't even like cats. Don't hold that against me if you're a cat person. All right? I'm okay with cats. You have a cat? God bless you. But I use CATS because I changed a little bit of that acronym that most of you know called ACTS for prayer, right? What's ACTS stand for? A stands for adoration. C stands for confession. T stands for... You win the prize back there, sir. Um, and S stands for supplication. I changed it around a little bit. You know why? Because I don't think we're really prepared to adore the Lord unless we have gotten our hearts right before God. And so I turned it into cats. Confess first, then get into adoration, thanksgiving, and then ask the Lord for the things that you believe you need. And by the time you get to that S of cats, if you've done your work diligently before the Lord, you won't be asking for something silly or selfish. You'll be aligned with God and his purposes. Cats. And then there's the evaluation the course, evaluating the course. It's not just reading the Bible, it's understanding the principles of the Bible, the roadmap of the Bible, the blueprint of the Bible, the proper principles to be applied. The Bible doesn't address every single little detail in our lives, but it covers everything in our lives by principle. So you have to see the Bible through the lens of not just explicit, but implicit truth. And that comes by understanding the principles of God. And then there's the equipment. Now, I see Mike Champ out there. Mike, Mike will love this one because the equipment is the armor of God. God gives us the armor of God. 
the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. Now, some of you who are biblical scholars out there or just biblical knowledgeable people will say, well, wait a minute, that's not really a good analogy because, because Paul says there in Ephesians 6 that you've got to stand firm. This is not about running. Ah, come on. It's both and. The same principles that we find in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2 and other passages apply to how we operate in our lives in Ephesians chapter 6. You've got the armor of God on. Do you think that a, a person that was in warfare just literally stood all the time in one spot had to move around he possibly had to run at a certain point but here's the thing when you're running with the armor of God don't forget you're being shot at not just by people but by Satan and his demons so have your armor on this is where endurance comes from God gives us everything we need now look my brothers and sisters this is not just an inspirational talk it is preparation for the pace of the race this is big time this is more important than anything I could ever talk to you about in terms of the journey on the way to glory your spiritual Olympics of a lifetime is right now and you are running toward the tape 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, a parallel passage. Paul speaks of four different things in these four verses. The first thing he says is you have to run to win. I think this is Alma's favorite verse, or one of her life verses at least, as a runner. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And then Paul says you have to exercise self-control. Verse 25, 1 Corinthians 9. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. See, back in those days, they would have a laurel of leaves, leaves on the head. It wasn't a gold medal that you could, like, you know, and it wouldn't break. It was perishable. It was a wreath. That was the award. He said, they did it to get a crown that would not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now, you might say, well, 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 Tim, what's the crown? Well, we could have a whole discussion on what the crown is, what we think the crown is. We don't really know exactly what the crown is, and how do I know that? Because the Bible's not specific about it. But it talks about it over and over again. And whatever that crown is, for the glory of God and his honor, I don't know about you, but I want to, you know, I want to get that crown when we get to heaven. Don't hold that against me. Verse 26, therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. And then he gets into boxing. Some of you, oh, I, I, can't stand, so I can't stand boxing. It's so violent. The Apostle Paul is talking about boxing here. Now, maybe it wasn't MMA. Maybe it was with the uh, padded red gloves. Probably not. Not back in those days. But here's what he says anyway. Therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating into the air. And Paul then makes it very clear that we are to be disciplined or we will be disqualified. Serious stuff. Serious stuff. No, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. In other words, you can't live a duplicitous life as a professing Christian and expect God to be pleased at the end of your road. Sober stuff. So God calls us to honor the heroes, to see their example, to access, to make sure that we have accessed the arena, to know that we are running the race and we are to prepare the pace of our race with those prerequisites. But then the Apostle Paul 
points this out to us. We are to fix our focus. Fix our focus. Laser focus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jesus, the original, ultimate entrepreneur, the author of our faith. This is how we acquire the power to endure the race. In 2008, after I ran the 400 meter thing and did my illustration, my coach said to me, you know, I really think you should consider doing a marathon. I said, I'll just call him Fred. I said, Fred, I, no way, no way. No, no, really, you should do it. Why don't you give me an opportunity to train you? I said, uh, you know what? It is kind of a bucket list kind of thing, weird kind of bucket list, so maybe I will. Let's try it. It took a year, one year for me to train. I'm going to like that, one year. And in 2009, I stepped up to the Verrazano Bridge on Staten Island because the New York City Marathon runs through all five boroughs, six bridges you have to run over. That's not easy in itself. I stepped up to that line in early November of 2009, the New York City Marathon. I had decided to run the marathon to raise money for M. Polio Now. Some of you know that movement. I was a Rotarian at the time, and I decided to do something that would glorify God, that would fit into the context of that service group. So I, sat, I stepped up to the line, and I thought to myself, am I ready? Am I ready for the 26.2 and the six bridges and the whole thing that's in front of me? And you know what the answer was? Yes, I was ready. How did I know I was ready? Because my coach feverishly was on top of me for almost a year to get me ready. I knew exactly what time I would run every mile, the amount of time. And by the time I got to what many consider to be, and it's truly the wall, so if you know anything about marathons, when you get to mile 18 or 17, oftentimes you get hit by the wall. Now in this particular case, if you know anything about New York City, there was a bridge, it's called the Mayor Koch Bridge right now, I forgot that, I think it's the 63rd Street, but I can't remember the bridge, but I remember when I got there, as I was running up the bridge, on the 18th mile, I remember thinking to myself, do I have it, do I have it? And I'm going, I have it, I have it. I felt like the little engine that could. Do I have it? Can I get up the, and I did. And I, all around me, now listen to me, what I'm saying to you, and this is only to the glory of God and kudos to my coach and the effort that was put in, but listen to what I'm saying. All around me, people were falling off. They were injuring themselves. There were people on the side that were weeping on the bridge. They were literally crying because they knew their race was over. They were not gonna make it to the end. Some pulled muscles and all you heard was the pitter patter on the bridge. It was weird. It was so weird. Pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. And I'm going, now just understand, I wasn't going, hey, where going? I wasn't. It was the 18th mile, so I was just pacing, 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 pacing. And toward the end of the bridge, I start hearing off in the distance, cheering. And I could not help when I heard that. That bridge goes in the First Avenue in Manhattan. It's a wide street. And there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people on the side. And they were cheering on the people that were coming down off that bridge. I was one of them. I could not help but think, that is what it's going to be like. When we, when we die and we go to heaven and, and the cloud of witnesses are there and we see them. We hear them. We connect with them. Well, you might imagine that when I got down off that bridge, I had a new energy that I didn't know I had. And I wasn't sprinting, but I made it all the way. 
to 26.2. And I did it as my coach predicted in four minutes and 15 seconds. Now, how did I do that? I should not have been able to do that. Four hours. What, I'm sorry. <laughs> now you're thinking, this guy is flash. He's flash. I knew it. Okay. That's really funny. Hey, can we take that off the tape, please, Mark? Make sure that's... Re- nah, leave it in there. Okay, anyway, four hours and 15 minutes. Oh, jeez. I wanted to do it in four minutes, but... I, okay, anyway. Uh, yeah, that was in the dream I had that night, by the way, that I did it in four minutes. So, so four hours and 15 minutes. Now, now, this is very important. The reason I was able to do that was because of my coach. The effort that was put in. But I want you to understand something. I was not a runner. And I knew as I was listening to my soundtrack, and it was Chariots of Fire, by the way, in case you're wondering. As I'm listening to my soundtrack, I thought, Lord, I need your strength. I know I've done the preparation, but I need you to carry me through. And I felt, I felt the presence of God coming alongside me and carrying me through the end. When I broke the tape, it wasn't a tape, but tape was already broken hours be- an hour or two before that. But when I got over that line, I got on my knees before God, and I just thanked him. Because see, for me, it wasn't just a marathon. It was a lifetime understanding that that is the metaphor for my life until I die. Okay, didn't plan on the emotion, but... It- came anyway fix your focus now one more quick illustration here about the greyhound racer actually i'm going to skip that i'll do that another time because i want to get to eric little eric little was the winner of the gold in the same olympics uh in a race that he was not supposed to even run he was and he and he was not trained to run it he trained ferociously for months Nothing would hinder him from his quest for the gold. But a test was coming. You see, the two tracks of his focus were now going to be challenged. They were going to divert. He was called to minister in the country of China as a, as a, as a missionary. But he also had a passion and a love for running. And these two roads would split off dramatically. Now, in the movie Chariots of Fire, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Watch it. If, you have, if you've seen it before, watch it again for the first time. Eric is depicted as instructing a little boy to not play football or soccer on Sunday. His father said, run in God's name and let the world stand back in wonder. And soon after this, Little found himself on a ship on the way to Paris and he was told that the heat that he had to use to qualify was on a Sunday and all of a sudden, his entire visceral dropped because he knew by his own conviction he could not run on Sunday. And you probably know the story, but he ended up in front of an Olympic committee that interrogated him, that was putting pressure on him to, to, to follow his allegiance to the country, etc., etc. And Little said, no, I will not do it. And there was a stalemate until God, because of his conviction, God brought someone in to give him an, op- an opportunity to run a race that he wasn't even trained for. And the rest is history. Little went on to run the 400 meter, which he was not trained for. He watched from the stands the man that he was competing with win the 100 meters. And in those stands, his trainer said to him, at one point, Sandy, his trainer, said to him, Eric, he's in the stands watching the race that he was supposed to be in. And and Sandy said to him, you have any, any, any regrets, Eric, being up here? And he said, 
Sandy, regrets, yes, but no doubt. Remember that phrase, regrets. There will be many regrets in this life, but if you live a life where your focus is on God and you fear God and you keep God at the center of your life, you'll have regrets, but you'll never have any doubts. Never any doubts. Now listen, sports and arts have become the idols of our age, the gods, let's call them, in our culture, and even in our churches. Many will not blink an eye deciding to compromise their commitment to the Lord and His church for a fleeting moment of passionate pleasure, sometimes through their own children. Let me tell you what my father did with me when I was a kid. I, I, was a, I loved baseball. I'm a 69 Mets guy. I was six years old when they won the World Series. Can you imagine? I'm a, I'm a Mets guy forever, right? I'm a baseball guy forever. I wanted to play Little League so bad. But in Staten Island, it turned out that Little League was always on Sunday morning. So guess what? No Little League for me. Now, I struggled with that as a kid. I was six, seven, eight years old. But as I got older, I began to realize that the choice to go to church and to, to make God my priority was much more important than Little League. But I had a dream. I had a dream that someday I would be able to play baseball and not softball, or instead of stickball, actual baseball. And when high school came along, my father said to me, and I had some training, my grandfather was a baseball coach. I had some training. My father said to me, son, I will support you a thousand percent if you make the team in high school. Now, when I got to high school, the, the games were on Saturday. And so I, I tried out, and I could not hit a, if you guys don't know baseball, I could not hit a fastball. I just couldn't hit, I could hit a curve, but I couldn't hit a fastball. That's too much information, I know, but I want you to understand the context of this. The reason I made the team was because of my fielding ability and my speed. And so I got on the team. And as I got on the team, I realized that all those years that God was preparing me was for the sake of my fellow athletes. I had a chance to witness to every one of them privately. They made fun of me all the time in the group. I won't even tell you what they said. It's not appropriate for this building right now. But I want you to know, I, I had a chance to witness to them. I gave them tickets to the Jesus film and they just come out in the theaters in those days. And I realized why God had prepared me for that moment. And then that year, we were one game away from the championship game in Yankee Stadium for the city championship. We lost that game. We almost got there. But we had a championship year. God gave me in one year the fulfillment of a dream. And it all related back to surrendering my life and my father being used of God to keep me on the right path. Now listen, as a child, I learned to obey for the joy set before me. Does that sound familiar? That's what Paul says at the end here. He says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have the purpose to finish the, the, the race. And here are my final thoughts before Mark comes to sing a song that is so appropriate for this moment. When Paul finished his life, he was in a jail, the Philippian jail. His final words are specifically here, Philippians 3, 11 to 14. I'm not gonna read it right now, but it's there. And you can look this up on your own. He pressed on to the goal to win the prize for which God had called him heavenward. As Christians, we do not run for a gold medal. We do not run for the applause of men. We run for God and his glory. And there's no other option. And in the end, as we break the tape, the promise is we will fall into his arms. The old coach's adage that says, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. My grandfather used to say to me all the time, 
Tim, World Series all the time, but never at the expense of God's honor. Compete, full throttle, but always with Christ-like disposition. How true that is for us as Christians. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, I have fought the good fight. But some of us have all but quit the race. Some of us are risking regret. Perhaps an eternity of regret. It doesn't have to be. We are all given the resources and the power we need to run the race to its end. The power, even as Little said himself, comes from within, but not some mystical, new age, off-the-wall, ethereal, nutjob thought. It's the Holy Spirit within you. His power. The power to endure and break the tape when your race is over. So yes, God calls us, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, to honor the heroes, follow their example, to access the arena, make sure you're in the race, prepare your pace, nail those prerequisites for racing, fix your focus, access the power to run without distraction and with endurance, and set your sights, purpose to finish the race. Endure your crosses, because they may be multiple. See the joy set before you, just as your Savior did. Go the distance. Go the distance. Mark, I'm going to ask you to come and prepare to sing this final song, and I'm going to read you something that I made copies of today. If you want them, I have a few copies up in the front. If we run out of them, I'll bring some more, but I'm going to read this to you as Mark prepares to come now and sing. It's called The Fellowship Committed to Doing Whatever It Takes. Get ready. This is intense. I am part of the fellowship committed to doing whatever it takes. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. I am out of the comfort zone. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, or back away. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living Sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chitsy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My, my, my face is set. My, gate is, my, my gaze is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. Capital G. My mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Ponder at the pool of popularity. Or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, or burn up. Till I preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus. I must go till he comes. Give till I drop. Preach till all know. And work till he stops. And when he comes to get his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me because I've dedicated my life to being part of the fellowship committed to doing whatever it takes. Amen.